thinking about this when we were doing worship. I think the, the number one temptation that a lot of us face is not necessarily to uh, do some big kind of crazy sin that's going to ruin our life. I think that's probably a temptation that some people face. I think the biggest temptation that a lot of us face is lowering the standard. So, like, as Christians, there's, there's, a, there's a way that you can live to live out who you are in the most full and complete way. And then there's a way you can live that you make it to heaven when you die, but you're kind of just like barely scooting in there. You know what I'm saying? And I, th- I feel like the temptation for a lot of us is to just, because it's real easy, is to move from right here down to right here. And so we'll go through these seasons where it feels like you know, we're not hearing as much from the Lord or uh, we're not doing as much for the Lord or whatever. And what it really is is because we've lowered the standard and we've not fallen into some big sin, but somewhere in the foundation things are starting to shake up because we've lowered it just slightly. You know what I'm saying? And so for, the, for us as believers in general, but specifically for what the Lord's doing in here, the consistent thing that we have to have on, on our minds is we, one, we can't stay where we are. We sure can't go lower, but we can't stay where we are. We've got to continually go higher and higher and higher and higher. And so this is how I say this all the time. Um, I'm completely satisfied, but I'm never satisfied. Right? So I'm completely satisfied with where the Lord has me now, but I'm not satisfied staying where the Lord has me now. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So let me just read some of this. Covenant requires offering. Covenant requires offering. But it's not enough to say you're offering something. It goes deeper into what you're offering. Okay? So it's not enough for me to just offer any love to my wife. To be the husband I'm called to be, I must judge what kind of love I offer her to fully become the husband I long to be. Y'all with me? So it's not enough for me to just offer any love to my wife. Like most of y'all in this room, I've probably said, hey, what's up? You know, love you, right? And that's like a brother, sister, you know, whatever type of love. For me to give that love to my wife would be for me falling way short of my call. You know what I'm saying? For her, there's like a whole nother standard, okay? So it's not just that I love my wife. It's what kind of love am I giving my wife? Y'all with me? In 1 Peter 1.16, Peter, on the other side of the cross and resurrection, quotes Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2 by stating, this is very familiar, you are to be holy because I, Yahweh, am holy. Okay? This is on the other side of the cross, other side of the resurrection, other side of Acts 2, but he quotes Leviticus, which, by the way, I think a lot of people are really surprised when they hear this. Did you know that early church started without the New Testament? Most people are, what? The New Testament hadn't been written when the early church started. I think, I think it's Bill Johnson. I'm totally, I might misquote this. I think it's Bill Johnson to say it's illegal to want what the early church had while not going through the spirit the early church had, but going through a book the early church didn't have. So, yeah. So, ready? And again, I might be adding to this, but I think it's accurate what I'm saying. Uh, It's illegal for us to want what the early church had, 
okay, while going through a book they didn't have, but not going through a spirit they did have. Okay, so because so Peter is quoting Leviticus. Why? Because he don't have the New Testament to quote. He's not quoting Paul because Paul hadn't been written, right? Or he might he might have been in the process of writing it, depending on what date. But he's quoting Leviticus. He says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Because we have modernized Christianity by making the Old Testament irrelevant and the New Testament about broad cultural appeal, we have explained away the call to holiness. While I've taught this in recent history, I feel the Lord wanting to take us deeper into not just knowing that He's close and accessible, but living in the fact that He's close and accessible. A lot of this is going to sound like a review in the beginning, but we're going to some new places. Holiness, or being holy, to restate this, is the fruit you judge the tree by. Matthew seven sixteen. if you want to go back. okay, Holiness is the fruit that you judge the tree by. So to review what I've previously taught on this, holiness cannot earn righteousness. Righteousness comes by believing in Jesus only. Okay? So holiness cannot earn your right standing in God. Your right standing in God is a gift. Believe and you will be saved. Okay? But holiness is what genuine righteousness produces. So the more we embrace righteousness, the more we should be living in holiness. Not by working towards it, but by default. Y'all with me? It's not enough to say that you believe and to say that you have a relationship with Jesus. Your holiness tells the true story of where your internal world is. So I shouldn't have to tell people I'm in love with Jesus. Right? People should look at me and say, that man's in love with Jesus. I don't, I don't know if Jesus ever had to go up to people and say, hey, I'm in love with the Father. No. He, he did go up to people and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? But he didn't have to prove anything. Why? Because he was living in an intimate place with him in such a way that when people looked at him, they saw that man is different. Okay? So, as I've taught before, holiness is what you do and what you become from righteousness. So Jesus did not come to lower the standard of holiness. He came to raise it through his blood. Let me read this. Deuteronomy 23, 12, and 14. You don't have to turn there. Um, and I actually didn't mark this, so let me just turn there real quick. Deuteronomy 23, 12 through 14. It says this. Uh, and and this, so let me actually, before I read this, let me give a little thing. This is going to sound really weird. If you've been here on a Tuesday night, maybe you've heard me read this. Um, but just hang in there. The end of this is great. Okay. So he's giving them a command of where to go uh, relieve themselves, the Israelites. Okay. So it gets real weird. But just listen to this. Verse 12. You must have a designated area outside the camp where you go to relieve yourself. Some of y'all didn't even know this stuff was in the Bible. Each of you must have a spade as part of your equipment, and when you go relieve yourself, dig a hole with the spade and cover the excrement. I'm going to read straight out of the Bible. But listen to this. This is why I want to read this, okay? 
Listen to what he says. Why? Why in the world is he talking about this? Because, verse 14, the camp must be holy, for the Lord your God moves around in your camp to protect you and defeat your enemies. He must not see any shameful thing among you, or he will turn away from you. So Yahweh in love is getting so specific with how pure the camp remains. Why? Because he's not on Pluto looking down on them. He's walking in and through the camp. So he's saying, in order for me to continue to live among you, you're going to have to reposition your life to remain in a holy state that I can dwell with you in. That's purity. The church doesn't talk about purity anymore. But why in the world is purity important? Because you are the temple of the Lord. Man, I should have picked a popular message today. This should be a popular message. Uh, We determine the proximity. We determine the proximity that we abide in to Yahweh. Let me say this one more time. We determine the proximity that we abide in to Yahweh. Okay? Holiness requires holiness. How set apart we live determines how close we'll live to he who is utterly set apart. Christianity is not a religion of flippancy. I feel like I've used that word a lot lately. Christianity is not a religion of just doing whatever. We've made grace the segue to apathetic living. Well, man, I can can do whatever I want. I got grace. No, 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 that's not grace. That's not what grace is. Right? Man, I went to a party. That's all right, I got grace. No, 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 no. Grace is you understanding you can't go to parties anymore. That's grace. Okay. Man. Thank you, Hannah. Okay? We've made grace the segue to apathy when grace is only the segue to a holiness that could never be attained until the cross renamed me righteous by his grace. So grace did not lower the standard. It raised the standard. Why? Because now I'm drenched in the blood. So a holiness that I could not attain before the blood was applied, I now live in because the blood is applied. Because I'm declared righteous or perfect in his sight, my call to be holy has gone from not sinning to image bearing. In the Old Testament, live holy. What does that mean? Don't sin. In the New Testament, drenched in blood, when it says, be holy as I'm holy, what is it saying? Look like me. Bear the image that I bear. There you go. (laughs) Okay? So because I'm declared perfect in his sight, my call to holy is gone from not sinning to image bearing. Okay? Is that not what the call of 1 Peter 1 is? To be holy, not as a good man with morals is holy, but as Yahweh himself is holy. Let me, let me just restate this one more time. One more time. I'm going to take my time because I don't have a lot of notes today. Okay? When he says to be holy as I'm holy, the other translation, to be set apart as I am set apart. Okay? That is not saying you are to be a good man with morals. 
or a good woman with morals. He's saying, you are to bear the image of Yahweh just like Adam did before a fruit ever came into the picture. Let me just say this. How effortless, and I think this might, what's up, man? I think this might help some people. How effortless, let me say like this. How much effort did Adam put out to bear the image of God before they sinned? But let me say that, okay. Before Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, how much do you think they had to work to bear the image of God? None. I don't even know if they thought about it. They just bear, they bear the image of God. Okay? So Jesus comes, dies, says, it is finished. And now Peter is saying on the other side of it, hey, we got to be holy as he is holy. What is he saying? He's saying, you should live in a place where you bear the image in such a way you don't even have to think about, am I bearing the image? That's what holiness is. That's why I keep spending, I think, a lot of weeks on this is because this is the most, in my opinion, the most important thing that we as pastors need to be teaching on right now is holiness. I think. I believe that. Now, why? Because nobody lives holy. And then we wonder, where is God? You know what I mean? We, we live just this apathetic life and go to church once every two months and then say, man, God must be 10 billion miles out that way because he's not near me. Maybe it's because we're not being a pure and spotless bride that he can walk in the midst of. Okay, so we as a people have to understand, I've got to understand, that holiness is not works. Okay? Holiness is, not, holiness is effortless because of the image that you bear. You with me? So every time I talk about holiness, I grew up in a holiness church. Okay? And what holiness meant to us was women wear skirts, you know, the whole nine yards. Okay? Works, 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 works. And I learned a lot of stuff, and I honor how we grew up. However, we have got to get to the place where we stop seeing how holy we are by what we do and instead see what we do by how holy we are. That shifts it. You know what I'm saying? I was, we were, I, I've told this story before, but I just want to say it one more time. We were on the way to TJ Maxx one day. And uh, so a lot of y'all have heard this, but we're turning into the parking lot, and the Lord spoke to me and said, and I think I mentioned this last week, I, I, don't, I don't remember, um, but spoke to me and said, I'm going to make you the leader of a new holiness movement. And I was like, no thanks. Don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to cut my hair. My wife's probably going to cut her hair. We're going to wear pants. You know, I don't want to do any of that. And uh, my wife likes makeup, so as much as we would save money, you know, but... Um, <laughs> Anyway, and so I, I told the Lord, no thanks, you got the wrong Josh. There might be another Josh, it ain't me. And so we just, you know, of course, how the Lord is, uh, live our life. And as the Lord has brought me through this year, what I've realized is he wasn't talking about how much we wear or how much makeup we wear or whether or not we cut our hair. He was talking about how set apart we are from a culture that refuses to be set apart. Because I'm declared... Righteous in his sight, I now bear the image 
that in the Old Testament, as perfect as they could possibly live, they could never bear. We've made the gospel defensive. We've made the gospel a response to sin. We've made the gospel defensive. We've made it a response to sin when it's a drawing you out to be who you were designed, which consequently deals with sin. Let me say this one more time because I messed it up. The gospel is not a response to sin. It's a drawing you out to be who you were designed to be, which consequently deals with sin. It's not defensive, it's offensive. It's not saying, man, sure messed up and they sin, so I'm going to bring this gospel so that every time they sin, there'll be grace. Is, that, is there grace every time you sin? Absolutely. That's not what the, the gospel is saying. I'm going to draw you out so the sin issue is no longer an issue. You know what I'm saying? It's not whether or not you're on the side of being as perfect as possible or sinning as much as possible. It's you're a totally different image now. So holiness isn't saying no to sin. It's saying yes to Him. The further you go in Him the greater the call to holiness will be, as we're about to read this. Why? Because holiness establishes the environment for him to dwell in. The Ark of the Covenant was in the what? Holy of holies. That's a way of saying there is a holy, but then there's a holiness beyond holiness, and that's where his holiness is. I ain't talking about the Pope, okay? The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. There was an extensive process of purification for a priest to go into the Holy of Holies. And if they weren't holy, they died. We are now the temple of God with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and a holy priesthood at the same time. So the call for us to live is the call for us is to live in such a way that we begin to leverage access into cosmic encounters. It's not just that there's a fire present in your life. What fire is burning in you is crucially important for what Yahweh wants to do in us and in our legacy. Okay? It's not just that there's a fire burning. What fire is burning? All right, let me start, uh, stay in Leviticus 10. I want to start by reading the, the kind of like back end of the story, and then we'll, we'll jump ahead to, um, to uh, Leviticus. So I want to read Numbers recounts this story really quickly, but I want to read this first, and you'll see why in a minute, okay? So Numbers 3, 1 through 4 says this. This is the family line of Aaron and Moses as it was recorded when the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. The name, listen to this right here. The names of Aaron's son were Nadab, the oldest, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Okay? These sons of Aaron's were anointed and ordained to minister as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died in the presence of the, excuse me, in the Lord's presence in the wilderness of Sinai 
when they burn before the Lord the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. Since they had no sons, this only left Eleazar and Ithamar to serve as priests with their father Aaron. We point this out before we go in. Okay, Nadab and Abihu, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that name, but you know, these names get real interesting in the English. Okay, those two were the oldest sons. Now, why is that important? As the oldest sons, they had the greatest inheritance and the greatest call to do what their father was doing. Okay? Because of the story I'm about to read, because they brought into the presence of the Lord a fire that they weren't designed to be burning, it resulted in not just them dying, but because they had no sons, their entire legacy is stopped because they refused to burn the right fire. And then two other generations who weren't designed to be in that place end up inheriting that place because they burned the right kind of fire. I think this is so interesting. Okay, so why does that mean anything? Because of this story I'm about to read. Leviticus 10, verse 1. Let me back up, actually, to uh, 923. Let me start right here. Give us some context. Um, Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle, and when they came out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed out from, fire blazed out from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell down on the ground. 10.1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So the fire blazed forth from the presence of the Lord and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all people. And Aaron was silent. Let me read this in the uh, message. I don't normally pull out the message, but just to give you some little bit clearer context of what's going on. Okay, ten uh, one. That same day, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, took their censers and put hot coals and incense in them and offered strange fire to God, something God had not commanded. Fire blazed out from God and consumed them, and they died in God's presence. Moses said to Aaron, This is what God meant when he said, To the one who comes near me I will show myself holy, Before all the people, I will show my glory. And Aaron was silent. Okay. So, uh, we, we, for whatever reason, have made righteousness and holiness opposing forces. It's not either or, it's both and. For example, for example, if I give you a car, no matter how you care for that car, it's yours. If I bring you the keys, like Tim, if I bring, because I just you saw you had the corner of my eye. If I bring Tim the keys to a brand new car, that'd be awesome, and handed them to Tim and said, I give you this car, it's his. Whether or not he puts oil in it, 
whether or not he puts gas in it, whether or not he takes care of the tires, that, that car is his. Can't change that. Okay? But how he cares for the car determines how well and how long he can use that car to its capacity. Right? So if you never put gas in it, oil in it, tires on it, etc., you having a car is almost meaningless because of how little you can do with it. Holiness is how you care for your righteousness. Holiness determines what you can do and what you can see with your righteous identity. So I have this with a bunch of stars by it. Holiness is protectant against apathy. All right, one more time. Holiness protects you against apathy. What is apathy? Being lazy with it, being lazy, you know, with, you know, worship or devotion or showing up to church or giving, you can fill in the blank. That's what apathy means, okay? Holiness protects you from sliding into that state. It protects you from sliding into just being here and just being in the presence, okay? Holiness pushes you where, honestly, in a lot of moments, you don't want to go deeper. It causes you to go deeper even when you don't want to, and see and experience things in the kingdom that you can only experience by way of making a decision to live in this holiness that comes by way of your righteousness. With me? I know this is a lot. Okay? So in Numbers 3, Nadab and Abihu were anointed and ordained to minister as priests, as the oldest. But they had the higher, excuse me, they had the higher callings than their brothers. But because they went into the presence of the Lord with the wrong fire, they died. In Leviticus 10, the Hebrew word for wrong kind or strange fire, okay? When it says, in this way they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire. That word is zerah in the Hebrew, zerah. And it means strange, it means foreign, and this is where we're going to hang out for a minute. It means from the outside, from the outside. So taken from the Hebrew we can infer that they took this fire from outside the sanctuary and brought it in rather than taking the fire from inside the sanctuary and ultimately pushing it out. It was as if they were saying, any fire will do. That's the equivalent to what's going on here. Such fire would be unholy, unclean, and illicit, and therefore offensive to the Lord. This was a cavalier disregard for the most serious meaning of the events that they were a part of. God answered their false fire with his real holy fire. Listen to this. Let's read this one more time. It's just two verses. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him outside fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the presence of the Lord. What fire? The one they should have been burning. Okay? Blazed forth from the presence of the Lord, burned them up, and they died before the Lord. Verse 3, when it says, when Moses kind of quotes this, I will display my holiness. Verse 3 should be translated, it is in the NEB translation. 
if you were taking it from the Hebrew, it, it, would, it should be translated like this. I must be treated as holy by those who come near me. So when Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. The actual translation, and that's not a bad one, but more accurate is, I must be treated as holy by those who come near me. Okay. So it's a reoccurring principle throughout the Bible that the greater privilege, the greater privilege that you have, it exposes a person to a greater discipline and holds them to a higher standard. Okay? All throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. The greater privilege that you have to the presence of the Lord, it raises you to a greater discipline because you've been raised to a higher standard than just the average Joe. So me as a pastor, for example... Would you agree, I would hope you would, because I agree with this, I'm held to a higher standard than just anybody that works wherever. Would you agree? Why? We got grace. I mean, I'm like, why? why? Why would I be held to a higher standard? So if we would tell, for example, if we would tell somebody that we work with, which we should, by the way, if we, if we tell somebody we work with is struggling with cheating on their wife, okay? If we went to them, i got to move this out of the way because now we got trees up here. If we went to them and said, you know what, man? That's all right. There's grace. Don't worry about it. The Lord will help you. Accurate. We should do that. Okay? Right. But if you found out that I was doing that as your pastor, would the response be, it's all right. There's grace. It's okay. It's all good. No. You know, you know what would happen? Guess what? I wouldn't be preaching anymore. I shouldn't be preaching anymore. Right? Why? Because the greater the access, the higher the standard. So we do, we do this subconsciously without even thinking about it. So when I start talking about holiness, most people are like, holiness, we got righteousness. Who cares? But then if I say, oh, well, I'm the pastor of this church, but I'm, I'm stealing money, and I'm doing this, and I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at, then everybody's going to say, you shouldn't be pastor. Those two things aren't the same. Either, either, either we're going to live at the level of our identity or we're going to live at a lower level than our identity to make excuses for living ap apathetic because it's a lot easier to live apathetic. How do you know that? Because everybody's living apathetic. And if it was difficult, nobody would be doing it. It's way more difficult to live by the standard of who you are. Who are you? Sons and daughters of God. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are one, co-joined, co-heirs with the Messiah, seated with him in heavenly places. So we, amen, amen, amen. Well, then why aren't we living like we are sons and daughters of God, seated in heavenly places? Th that doesn't make any sense, right? And listen, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody for sinning. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying if we're going to see what we're designed to see, we've got to raise the standard. Why? Not because you're going to earn anything, but because when we raise the standard, we're going to leverage a lot of things that we couldn't leverage before. So how are we going to see Columbia transformed? Are we going to see Columbia transformed by lowering the standard to where everybody is so that everybody can come in? I mean, we, think about this. 
We as a church in America have to make this decision. We really need to have this conversation. What does it mean to reach the lost? Does it mean we're taking the standard and we're going to lower it so low that anybody can just repeat a prayer, keep living how they want, and they're saved? Is, is that what we're going to do? Because that's what we're doing. And if that's what we're going to do, then we really need to stop calling stuff salvation that's not salvation. You know, if, I mean, seriously, if this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to call Christianity, then we really need to be careful with how we label things that aren't what we call them. So if you've repeated a prayer, and I'm looking at the camera because I know a lot of people watch this online, but if you've repeated a prayer, that is a great entrance in. If you've never been born again, you've never been born again, though. There's, now, listen, don't, don't hear that and be like, oh, man. Be, no, hear that and say, you have access to be born again. Amen. I don't have to live like this. I don't have to bounce around to parties. If that's your idea of fun, you ain't lived. And I say that as one who has never gone to a party. Not because I made the choice, but because my parents threatened my life. And we're going to threaten Beta's life. And I'm threatening your life. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How's the spirits today? You know. <laughs> Here in a minute, you'll hear police. Hey, did you say you were going to? Um, right? So as my, I, I use this example all the time. My daughter, I'm not going to lower the standard of living to meet where she is. I'm going to raise her up to live on the higher standard of living that she actually is designed to live in. So this is what Jesus does. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord Yahweh is not sitting on his throne looking at Israel, losing their ever-loving minds, looking at saying, you know what? I told them that they can't worship other gods. If we just delete that, they're in. They're good. You know what I mean? So if we just lower the standard, Jesus, you don't have to go. You can leave them alone, and they can all be saved again. No, he says, here's what we're going to do. Jesus. <laughs> He's like, man, what do I mean? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why don't you go? No. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I hear, I hear it right now, heretic, heretic, heretic. Um, if I had a dime for every time I was called that, I'd be so rich. But, but Jesus instead comes, and the answer the answer for the globe was not God lowering the standard to where the globe was. The answer for the globe was actually to give them access to a way higher standard that they could live by that would actually cause the cosmos to be brought back into their design. So, so is salvation and is Christian living us lowering the standard or is it saying, if I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, there's a way my life should look that should not look like everybody else who is not yet the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This, this is what holiness is. This is what we're talking about, okay? This is why salvation raises the standard. They died, these sons, died because they thought it was enough to just have a fire burning. But the Lord isn't just concerned that a fire is burning. He's concerned with what fire is burning. They brought a fire 
from the outside in, and the call was to receive a fire from the inside out. One more time. Okay? They brought a fire from the outside in. You could take this however you want to take it. They brought a fire from the outside in, and the call was to receive a fire from the inside out. It was unholy because it didn't come from the presence of the Lord. It came into the presence of the Lord, but that wasn't the call. The call was for you to go into the presence of the Lord and take the fire from it and then bring it into a place where you're offering a sacrifice or incense. This radically changes things. Let me say all this. It's not enough to say you're happy. Plenty of people are happy. Muslims are happy. Buddhists are happy. Atheists are happy. It's not enough to say you're just happy. Why are you happy? See, this is where the Lord has us. For two and a half years, three years, he's brought us into this kind of like milk season where it's just all surface level, even though some of you are like surface level. But it's all just like just basic foundational things. And now that we've turned the corner into the third year, I feel like the Lord, just like I preached on that three-year anniversary day, is trying to get us to consecrate everything to him so that we can taste what we're designed to taste on the fifth year. Okay, so this is where he's bringing us. Now we're going to level deeper into holiness right now. In your life, it's not enough to just have peace. Why do you have peace? Is it because you just have a good job and everything's good right now and life is good and they're about to come out with a vaccine so everything will start going back to normal and all that? Is that, is that why you have peace? Did you have peace when everything was going crazy earlier this year? You, know, you see what I'm saying? So it's not just enough to say I've got peace. Why do you have peace? Does your peace come from the fact that Jesus is on the throne or does your peace come from the fact that life is good? Because if your peace comes from the fact that life is good, guess what? At some point, junk will hit the fan. And when that happens, if that's where your peace has been, then guess what? You won't have peace anymore. Now let me ask you this. This is where my philosophical kind of comes in. Can you define that as peace? If something is circumstantial, is it what it is labeled to be? If I love my wife just when things are good and I despise my wife when things are bad, do I love my wife? If I'm a Christian and holy when things are great, but when things aren't great, I'm living like everybody else. And have I actually been born again? You see what I'm saying? Okay. Let me say it like this. Is, is, sorrow, <laughs> is sorrow the opposite of happiness or is sorrow simply a lack of happiness? This is what I like doing. Why, why does any of this matter? Because we think, we think that the Lord, that Christianity, that our lives are just seasonal. We hear this in the church. Man, I'm just really going through a rough season. Here's what we're really saying. All the stuff that I found comfort in before has been taken away, so I'm really going through it now. One problem. Psalm 1 says 
that we should be like trees planted by streams of living water that bear fruit in every season that leaves never wither. So if our leaves are withering or we stop bearing fruit, are we planted by streams of living water? According to Psalm 1, no. You might be planted by some water, and this is where it comes in. Is it enough for you to be planted by water or is it what type of water or what type of stream are you planted by? Right? Because if you're not planted by the stream of living water that flows from the presence of the Lord, when that water dries up in a season, guess what? Your leaves are going to start drying up too. Your fruit's going to start drying up. You're going to start questioning if the Lord's real. You're going to start saying he's 10 billion miles out that way. And then you're going to start bracing for impact. Man, the devil's really on me. No, you just weren't planted by streams of living water. (laughs) Right? Man, I'm I'm really being tempted right now. I'm not. You know why? Because I'm planted by streams of living water. And the only temptation that you and I really face is to say, why don't you just move from this stream and come right over here to this puddle? It looks a lot easier and a lot better. That's the only... So once you do that, guess what? Your leaves will start drying up without the devil having to do anything. You sit back and drink coffee. Just wait for the season. Literally, he could sit sit back and wait. I know winter's coming. They're going to lose all that job. They're going to lose that job. COVID's coming. Winter's coming. It's all right. They're going to lose their job. And when they lose that job, they'll start questioning everything. I don't have to do anything. Right? We, we give, I'm telling you, that's why I'm sick of talking about the devil. We give him way too much credit for stuff we do. We do. Did the devil force the fruit down Eve's mouth, or did Eve take the fruit and eat it herself? She took the fruit and eat it her, ate it herself. Had no power. He couldn't take her hand and say, you better eat this or I'll kill you. He didn't have power to do that. He said, man, you know, you should probably eat it. It looks fine. And so, right? So let me, let me say it like this. It's not just that you're eating something. What matters is what you're eating. Right? If they had gone to the tree directly beside the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what tree it was? The tree of life. So it wasn't just that they were eating something. Everything in history hinged on what they were eating. Your legacy is not going to come about just because you're on fire for something. What are you on fire for? And where is that fire coming from? Like, what are you passionate about? Reaching the lost. Why are you passionate about reaching the lost? I don't know. There's something we should do. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm passionate about reaching the lost. You know why? Because I've seen something in the secret place the lost need. It's, uh, it comes from, you know what I'm saying? But when we bring that from the outside in, guess what? We'll start shifting all of our ministries around to make sure we're reaching the lost. Why? Because we brought a fire from the outside in. And the Lord's not looking for you to do a bunch of ministry to reach the lost. He's looking for you to get in such a secret place that we reach the lost. This stuff fires me up. Well, Josh, you've said this a million times. I know. And until we start doing it, I'll keep talking about it. All right. This is why, this is why we always, always, every week, multiple times a week, talk about the secret place. This is why. Because you live in holiness by burning with the fire that comes from his presence. Here's what it means. Here's what it means, okay? To burn strange fire. And I'm, I'm being funny a little bit with what I'm about to say. But just, you know, for the fun of it. This is what it means to burn strange fire. It means that you or I claim to be a Christian, but we curse our neighbor, 
We don't tithe. We never spend time with the Lord. We could care less about babies being murdered or the sanctity of marriage. Just thought I wanted to sit on that one for just a second. You show up to church once a month or less. You break unity more than you unite. We don't care about our brothers and sisters, and we don't honor spiritual leaders. One more time. What does it mean? Because I'm a Christian, brother. Well, I mean, if I'm cursing my... I'm going to just say about me. If I'm cursing... Because I've done this, by the way. If I'm cursing my neighbor... I don't tithe. I never spend time with the Lord. I could care less about babies being murdered. I could care less about the sanctity of marriage. I could care less about showing up to church. I could care less about uniting, and I'm breaking unity all over the place that I disagree with. I don't care about my brothers or sisters. I sure don't love them unconditionally, and I sure don't love them like I love myself, and I sure don't honor spiritual leaders. I've lived that and called myself Christian before. That's what I've done. So this is where holiness comes in, is the standard comes in to show me where I'm not living to the level of who I am. Again, not earning who I am. I'm not living to the level of who I have already accomplished being. So holiness comes in and says, you're a son of God, but you're living like a slave. Right? That, this is where holiness is so important. You're a son of God, but you're living like somebody who's completely lost their ever-loving mind. We say that all the time. <laughs> In 2020. Like, I told Ellington the other day, I was like, I feel like if everybody could just be normal for about four weeks, we'd be so good. We'd be solid. Um, but that's just me. Okay. So everybody chill for just four weeks. Give us four weeks. But that's what we, we, have, we have stopped preaching on holiness and when we stop preaching on holiness, let me give you this example. I, I taught on Song of Songs twice um, since we started our church. Some of you weren't here for either of those, and so we might do those again one day. We definitely will at some point. But um, as we started teaching through Song of Songs, it's unbelievable to this day how many people reach out saying, I've just gone through all the messages of Song of Songs. I've never heard anything like that. And it always makes me stop because I'm like, I haven't heard anything like that. That's, sal that's just salvation. Be beloved. Man, that's groundbreaking stuff. I'm like, no. that. You know what I'm saying? But we, we're so, here's what we've done. We've stopped preaching on holiness. And when we stop preaching on holiness, because holiness shows us the stand. Holiness really shows me who we are. Shows us who we are. It shows us the standard. When we stop preaching the standard, there's no longer a standard. When there's no longer a standard, we no longer know who we are. And when we no longer know who we are, all we're doing is playing defense, trying to tell people how to be happy, how to have joy, how to have peace, how to love, how to do all this other stuff, how to end all this stuff, when really if we could bring back the standard to prove to us who we are, we'd never have to teach on any of that stuff, which is exactly why I've never taught one message on here's how you can be happy or here's how you can have peace or here's how you can have joy or here's how you can not be depressed. You know what I'm saying? And that's not making light of those things, but it is making light of those things in the light. Well, Josh, how can you say that? Okay, depression is nothing to Jesus. Anxiety is nothing to Jesus. Okay? 
Fear is nothing to Jesus. Racism, nothing to Jesus. But here's where the kicker comes in. There has to be a point where we say, here's depression, or here's racism, or here's everything else, and hand it right over to Jesus. There has to be that point. If we never do that, then guess what? All we're going to ever do is sit around talking about how can we fix this. I'll tell you how we fix it. Hand it right over to Jesus. And then when we hand it right over to Jesus, guess what we got to do? Live like it's been handed over to Jesus. So love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Easy if I'm living like Jesus who loved his neighbor as himself. Like, you know what I'm saying? This, isn't, this isn't, literally is not groundbreaking. This isn't just world changing. But it is. And everybody should understand this, that this is the call for us. It's holiness because we've been made righteous. And in the marriage of those two things, we see all of these issues start to fall and become less and less and less. Not because we've buried them, but because we've actually exposed them in the light that Ephesians 5 says has turned them into truth. I, I don't think we should shove stuff down. I don't think we should say, you know what, man, if we just wouldn't talk about this, it would just go away. No, let's talk about it. Let's bring it to the light so that it can be dealt with. I don't want my kids and your kids and our grandkids to deal with the same issues that we're dealing with today. And that's what's happened. That's what's happened is our grandparents dealt with it. And then at some point they were like, you know what? Let's just shove it down. We're tired of dealing with it. And then our parents dealt with it. And then at some point it was like, all right, we're tired of dealing with it. Let's just shove it down. And here we are dealing with the same stuff. So this time we're going to do it different. This time we're not going to shove it down. This time I want to let it simmer all the way to the top and be seen in all of its ugliness because Jesus says when it's exposed to the light, he, not me, will turn it into what? Truth. So I believe we're going into a season of the greatest love and the greatest equality that America has ever seen. But I believe it has to start with us getting uncomfortable to the point we let all of it just rise right up to the surface. God can only deal with what we give him to deal with. Whew, man. Everyone in the South, just about... Is, is all of this because religion has told us it does not matter what fire is burning as long as one is. That's what religion has told us. Religion has said, as long as you got something, as long as you're burning for something, it don't matter what you're burning for. And I'm here to tell you today, it absolutely matters what you're burning for. The only fire, the only one that will do is the one from the Holy of Holies calling us to be holy as he is holy. It's the only one that will do. I just, we just sing the song. I just want you and nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you over and over and over and over. And I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm like, man, if we actually believe that, we could do some damage. You know, if, if I actually, if, I just want you and nothing else and nothing else. And then when he starts to take away everything else, like, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Ellington, could you do me a Matt, go ahead and come up here. Could you do me a favor? Could you run in my office back here? And there's a, a C.S. Lewis book. I forgot to bring it out. Could you just bring it out to me? Thanks. I just want to read something out of that um, before we wrap it up. 
Here's a real basic definition of holiness. Real basic. We've been talking about it all day. I mentioned this in the beginning. What is holiness? Image bearing. That's it. What does it mean to be holy? It means you bear the image. If you're going to look like him, then you'll have to eventually do what he does. So we say this all the time. We tell people to pray for the sick. We tell people to give people you know, prophetic words. We tell people to have all the spiritual gifts. But the one thing that we never talk about is maybe we should just live to the standard that all that stuff will be birthed out of. I feel like we have to strive for spiritual gifts because we're not living in a place where they are easily accessible. Thank you. Do what? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm going to call y'all up. Yeah, worship. Y'all get ready in just a minute. Let me read this. This is in The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. If you haven't read this this year, uh, you should. It's an unreal book. But let me just read this real quick out of this uh, book. Y'all just hang with me for a second. Uh, Matt, can I just get a little less of that? Thank you. All right, this is what he says. He says, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. Y'all with me? We regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. Now, God, who has made us, knows what we are and that our happiness lies in him. Yet we will not seek it in him as long as he leaves us any other resort where it can be even plausible to be looked for. While, we, while what we call our own life remains agreeable, we will not surrender it to him. While what we call our own life remains agreeable, that means it remains pretty good. Okay? We will not surrender it to him. What then can God do in our interest but make our own life less agreeable to us and take away the plausible source of false happiness? It is just here, in that moment, where God's providence seems at first to be most cruel, that the divine humility, the stooping down of the highest, most deserves praise. We are perplexed to see his misfortune or misfortune falling upon decent, inoffensive, worthy people, on capable, hardworking mothers of families, or diligent, thrifty little trans or, or excuse me, tradespeople, on those who have worked so hard and so honestly for their modest stock of happiness, and now seem to be entering on the enjoyment, enjoyment of it with the fullest sight. Okay? So this people who have just worked hard, they're great people who seem to be entering into happiness at its fullness. How can I say with sufficient tenderness what here needs to be said? Now hang, this is C.S. Lewis, it's not me, but this is really profound. It does not matter that I know what I must become in the eyes of every hostile reader. Talking about what he's about to say. As it were personally responsible for all the sufferings I try to explain. Just as to this day, everyone talks as if St. Augustine wanted unbaptized infants to go to hell. 
but it matters enormously if I alienate anyone from the truth. Let me implore the reader to try to believe, if only for the moment that God, who made these deserving people, may really be right when he thinks that their modest prosperity and the happiness of their children are not enough to make them blessed. That all of this must fall from them in the end, and that if they have not learned to know him, they will be wretched. And therefore he troubles them, warning them in advance of an insufficiency that one day they will have to discover. The life to themselves and their families stands in between them and the recognition of their need. He makes that life less sweet to them. I call this divine humility because it is a poor thing to strike our colors to God when the ship is going down under us. A poor thing to come to him as a last resort to offer up our own when it is no longer worth keeping. Do y'all hear this? This is, I mean, if God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. And come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. It is hardly complimentary that God, or excuse me, to God, that we would choose him as an alternative to hell. Yet even this he accepts. The creature's illusion of self-sufficiency must, for the creature's sake, be shattered. The cre- our illusion of self-sufficiency, I can do it on my own, must for our sake be shattered. Why? Because we always, always, as a American human race, see God as the emergency last resort. How do we know? Because we'll see people that are going into, a, they see they're about to have a car wreck and what do they do? They cry out to who? The Lord. Haven't cried out to him before. But we see, oh, we're in danger. Lord, come save me. Christianity and the gospel is not an emergency plan. And and this is why I talk about the end like I talk about it. This isn't some escape, get out before it gets bad type thing. This is Jesus Christ reigning in the earth until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. This isn't about a God who's angry. It's about a God who is so good that he allows us to walk through times where our seeming happiness is shattered because we built it on us. That's goodness. That's not God being mad. It's not God being angry. But if you're walking through a season where everything in your life that has made you happy starts to fall, rejoice because it's not just that you're happy. What he's bringing you into is a reason for being happy, which is Jesus Christ himself. It's not just about I have peace. If I have peace because life is good, then guess what the Lord in goodness will do? Allow that life to start crumbling. Josh, how can you say that's goodness? 
Because on the other side of it, I'm going to find myself defining peace as this. I know the one who is the prince of peace. And that of the increase of his kingdom, of his government, of his dominion and peace, there shall be no end, Isaiah says. So it's not just enough that you have that you're burning and that you're passionate about something. We've got to start asking ourselves, what am I passionate about and where is that passion coming from? If you're going to look like him, you'll have to do what he does. Strange fire is religion. I mean, if you boil it down, strange fire is religion. It's thinking you can pretend your way into presence. Thinking you can pretend your way into presence. You can't bring the fire. You must receive it. Worship. Y'all go ahead and come up here. Nadab and Abihu died. You ready for this? This is my last note. Nadab and Abihu died because of apathy. That's it. They died because of apathy. How do you say it? Because they weren't in a position where they judged the fire that was being burned. They solely cared in that moment that they brought a fire. It was apathy. It was saying, anything will do. It was as if they were singing the song we just sang, and instead of saying, I just want you, nothing else, nothing else will do, if we were singing what we really thought, we would be saying, I just want you and a really nice job and making sure I'm making you know, at least 45000 a year and making sure my car makes it this week and finding a spouse. I said this to somebody a couple of years ago. They don't go here anymore, but... Um, I said, you know, Jesus wants us to learn how to be a bride to him before we're ever a bride to a man. Or for men, a groom to a woman. He, he wants us to learn what it means to love him before we ever know what it means to love somebody else. Or else you'll start placing that person in the place that he is intended to be. But because he was never there, you're just trying to fill it. That's what people, people do all the time. They get in relationships. All of a sudden, they'll stop going to church. They'll stop tithing. They'll stop reading their Bible. They'll become atheists. Why? Because they've moved this person into the place of God. No man can hold that place. But I can supplement. Let me say that. That's, that's wrong. I can push my wife to see him in a way that she did not see him before she encountered me. I can't replace God in my wife's life, but I sure can show her what God looks like through my life. And the only way I can do that is by living like that, bearing the image before I ever come in contact with her. So, I mean, business. Some of y'all have ideas for businesses that are going to be unbelievable. But what you're called to do in this season is define the fire that's going to burn into that season. Is that business succeeding going to be where you find joy in? What you find joy in? Or is the presence of the Lord solely going to be what you find joy in? And if the business makes it, it makes it. If it doesn't make it, I'll still be happy. I'll do whatever I need to do. But I've got joy. Same with this church. We, me and Ellington talk about this all the time. But um, this, I, we, I would not be doing this today 
I would not be doing this today had it not been for me, and I'm not perfect, and I've definitely missed this a lot over the past three, three years, but had it not been for me saying, if nobody shows up, that's not the point. Because there were a lot of weeks that nobody showed up. A lot of weeks. And I would go home and I would say, I could go work at Publix or Target. Target is actually a way, really good place to work. Um, it's like everybody's just happy there. I'm happy there. Um, it's like you walk into Target and it's just like, take my money, you know. Um, I saw those little Debbie gingerbread that just came out now. Y'all know the little Debbie gingerbread cookies? Two boxes already gone. Um, so, so if I start looking a little different over the next couple of months, y'all blame that. But, but I, I could, I, let me say, I love this, but this isn't where I find my joy. It adds to my joy and sometimes tries to take away from my joy, right? But I can do this effectively because this isn't my source of anything. Jesus is my source for everything, and therefore I can stand on this stage with full integrity and deliver the word of God knowing I'm holding myself to a higher standard. Uh, let me just say this real quick while y'all get ready, because this is a great kind of transition into this, but um, is this in your, y'all's way? There you go. Yeah, okay. Um, and I want to be real cautious because I want to honor. But um, recently, over the past couple of months, there has been a lot of um, influential pastors fall hard. And, um, and I was just reading through some articles and stuff like that this week because I didn't know some of what was going on until I um, saw it on the news. But I, uh, the one thing that I was very convicted, or not convicted of, but um, pushed deeper into, I guess you would say, was that there, I, I, and I'm saying this for me, but this applies to all of us, I have to hold myself to a standard. The highest standard. Amen. So, so I mean, for example, I got back, I, I've been off of Instagram and stuff. I got back on there to celebrate our three-year anniversary last week. And once that little time period ended, I'm off again. So it's not because I blocked anybody. It's because I deleted it. Now, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because for me, I'm not saying Instagram's bad. I'm just saying for me, I want to hold myself to such a standard that I find nothing in anything else but him. And as a pastor of this church, like I, I've got, I, there's a reason I don't meet with females with nobody in the building. You know what I mean? There's a reason that even when I do meet with females in the building, we don't meet in my office back there. We meet right here with all the doors wide open. There's a reason why I don't drive around with female assistants and stuff like that. It's not because I feel like I'm going to fall. It's because there is a standard that I've got to hold. I, my daughter is going to be here one day. My daughter has to rule in a kingdom that Yahweh wants to establish through this generation. And it will not happen if I settle for a lower standard than what I'm actually called to, to live at. Financially, as a church, we know where every single cent of this church has gone, 
with receipts, with accounts, with all of it. Why? Because we're living to a standard that when the Lord wants to move in this place, there's not one thing in the camp that's keeping him from moving through this place. We tie 10% off of everything we get, we're given. Why? Not because the Bible says churches need to do that, but because we're holding ourselves to a standard that we're going to continue to live in a purity where the Lord wants to move through us. We do all this stuff because I want this to be a place where you and your kids and your grandkids can come in and know when I get in that room, the presence of the Lord is going to draw me into an encounter where he takes me higher. I, I encourage you, I encourage you that as they sing this song, which I think is perfect, we dance. My favorite song maybe of all time. But as we sing this song, I just think we need to take a minute. What, like, what do our lives need to look like if we're going to live and honor what we've been identified as? And again, I'm not talking about works, but your life should produce good works. Faith without works is dead. Amen? I, say this, I, I said this back when I taught this, I think, a year ago or something. But Jesus didn't come to do away with works. He came to redeem works. Works were once how we earned our way into God. Works are now what we do now that we've earned our way into God. That, that, he just shifts all this stuff in us. So I'm going to pray and then you guys jump in. Lord, I pray that as we sing this song, um, I pray that you would just call us back into the main thing, the one thing that matters. The reason for our life, the reason that we burn, which is at some point in all of our stories, at one point you found us and you pulled us into a dance that we couldn't resist. So Lord, I pray that you would just continue to push us higher, continue to push us deeper into that standard. In your name, amen.